0: If you've ever heard the phrase the Holy Spirit and you want to know what it means, where do you start?
1: Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty.
0: Okay, but what is God's Spirit?
1: Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. <laughs> yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end.
0: So what is it?
1: Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That, too, is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, Ruach. happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others.
0: How will this new act of God's spirit happen?
1: Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus and at the beginning of his mission there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River.
0: Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests
1: on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation and we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus who saw him alive from the dead said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus.
0: This is the beginning of new creation.
1: Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after
0: that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of His disciples.
1: So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit.
0: And so, today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places.
1: Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit.
2: Well, that, that video uh, sets us up this morning for where Jesus goes um, in the, the series that we're doing called "Terminal." Uh, if you want to check out, that, that resource is called "The Bible Project." There's a ton of videos like that covering a lot of different topics, a lot of different ideas uh, in the Bible. Uh, overviews of books of the Bible, overviews of different topics or, or nuanced things from Scripture. Just a fantastic resource. Just Google the Bible Project, and it'll come up, and you can go to their site. It's got a lot of uh, pretty amazing things on there. Uh, before I get started, I just want to brag on, uh, you guys brag on our church a little bit. Just, uh, it's always amazing to see different people step up and, and serve in different ways. Gary, who was up here playing the guitar, um, called him maybe 24 hours ago, to jump in. Uh, it was going to be Brian and Miriam. And Brian had a, a quick trip to the hospital that he had to make yesterday, and so that, that kind of took him out for this weekend. So Gary jumped in, and he and Miriam just kind of grabbed a couple songs. I was like, Gary, what are, just out of the blue, Gary, no, no particular reason. What are the two songs you could play the best without really practicing? And then uh, he kind of knew what was up. So I appreciate him jumping in, and Christy, our kids director, is out this weekend, and so there's people filling in back there, uh, making sure things are running smoothly. And um, just... Really appreciate so many people in so many areas step up around here, and, and some of this kind of came to my mind this past week. Um, Kathy and I and another couple had a chance to run down to a quick church conference down south on uh, th- Wednesday, Thursday. Um, kind of a quick trip, but um, you know, pretty typical church conference type stuff. I don't know if you guys have been to one of those. It's, it's um, fun for people like me. I don't know how uh, exciting it'd be for you guys, but... One of the things they talked about, because the tone of the weekend was very, like, uh, refresh yourself, just encouraging, like, keep going, you can do it. And, and uh, they talked a lot and really got the sense that there are people in ministry around the country, around the world, who are just kind of exhausted and tired out. And, and they mentioned a stat that over the last couple years, just coming through the COVID stuff and just how goofy things have been, um, like, two-thirds of all pastors have at least considered resigning at some point in the last couple years. Um, And many of them have chosen to do so. And so I just felt the need to just let you guys know that in the midst of a lot of that, um, there's a lot of pastors who are exhausted. I do not feel exhausted. Um, A lot of pastors out there discouraged. I do not feel discouraged. Um, I feel loved, I feel supported. I know Kathy feels the same way, Joe and Leah. Like, we feel so fortunate to be able to serve a church like this and serve people like you guys and this was on display throughout the last couple of years. Because just the nature of the last couple of years is there's been decisions to make. How are we going to do this? How are we not going to do this? When are we going to do this? When are we not going to do this? And there's all kinds of different opinions. And there were differing opinions among you of how we should do things or not do things. Um, but I never felt more encouraged than when someone was disagreeing with me over the last couple of years. I would get phone calls or emails of someone who just was seeing things differently or experiencing things differently, people right in the midst of it, and they would call or email to express disagreement, and it would be like the most encouraging note I've ever gotten, right? And so that's kind of been my life over the last couple years, so I know that there are pastors and churches out there experiencing very different things, Um, but I just wanted to thank you guys uh, for making this a great place to serve and be a part of church, so I just appreciate that. Um, Wanted to throw that out there. So, um, I don't know. Yes, clap for, that's all the mean people clapping for the nice people for (laughs) carrying the weight over the last couple years. No, I'm kidding. Um, So today, I just want to start off. I I mentioned the first week of this terminal series that I haven't lost a ton of people. Um, Lost grandpa about 20 years ago, uh, lost grandma a a few years ago. But it's hard to lose grandpa and grandma, but it's, I know this will maybe sound weird, but it's normal to lose Grandpa and Grandma, right? Like you grow up, and then they're kind of the first ones that you say goodbye to over the normal course of of things. But I haven't haven't lost uh, many others, if that. Maybe maybe some uh, friends or acquaintances along the way. But in 2008, Kathy, my wife, lost her dad, and uh, I don't remember a lot of the details in the midst of it. We were we were married at the time, but. Um, I remember the- phys- physical decline he, he passed from bladder cancer, um, but there weren't i I wasn't intimately involved in the process. She's the youngest of five and so very capable older brothers and sisters who are right there in the middle of it and Kathy, of course as well. so really wasn't a need for you know one, one of the in-laws to jump in and, and be a part of everything but um, just the nature of their family, there weren't a ton of super intimate moments e- even towards the end, not a lot of those tearful goodbyes or, or, or last words. Not the most expressive family. That's why I like them, right? I don't have to go there and cry with everybody about stuff. We just <laughs> tease each other and, and move on. Um, uh, so, but he, he in particular could, could be a little rough around the edges. Super nice guy. Loved his family well um, and, and was great to Kathy and I, especially towards the end. Uh, but he could be rough around the edges, and he and I had a couple you know, goofy moments over the years. Um, but this is another odd thing to say. He, he died well. He died well, and those of you who have who have maybe sat with parents or grandparents or loved ones at the end know how important that is to see. Man, it, it's a powerful thing when a child of God dies well. Like it, it, it can have a, a huge impact. But I, I remember random things, interesting things about uh, the last few months. Um, you know, as he would have conversations with Kathy's mom about how, how do we, how do you close down the cottage every winter? How do you do this or that? going through accounts and life insurance and investments and all the practical things that you have to talk about when someone's gonna, about to pass. Um, and I have a very specific, vivid memory of a conversation. We happened to be at their house, and he was uh, walking Kathy's mom around the house pointing out different things about the plumbing and the electrical. But I remember him showing her how the sprinkler system worked. They had an in-ground sprinkler system. And I remember thinking, man, it's such an odd tension where this is, on one hand, very routine, Right. Here's what this button does. Here's what you turn, and here's how you do that. And this is this is what. How, here's how you change the timer if you want to change when and how it comes on. So very routine and yet very sad and very final because he wasn't just going away for the summer. This was it, right? He he knew the end was coming. He had been given a terminal diagnosis, um, and so it was time to have some of those conversations. And there were. Big conversations, not only about the practical things because that's kind of the way it usually plays out is you start talking about here's the practical stuff. And this is true if you're going on a long vacation, right? You're leaving the kids with grandpa and grandma or a babysitter or whatever. You hit the practical things and then you start turning the conversation towards, okay, now that I've told you that, here's who you can lean on when I'm gone, right? If you forget what I said, if you're not sure how to figure this out, if you don't know what to do, here's who you can call. And so for her, it was... You know, you got your two sons. They had a solid church, a solid pastor they had connected with in the last couple months where he's finally getting to the point where he's like, hey, I'll be gone, but you're gonna be okay, and here's why. You're gonna be okay, and here's why. And and for those living in that tension of a terminal season, those are common things to talk through. You want to tie up loose ends. I want to encourage those people. Um, Here's the things I need you to hear before I'm gone. Here's the pivotal things that I believe will carry you through and... You start narrowing down, who can they lean on? And Jesus had this moment in a, in a couple different spots. And just like Kathy's dad, he, you know, like we talked about a few weeks ago, hey, I, Jesus said, I need you to serve, right? He washed the disciples' feet and said, Wait, if all else fails, if you're not sure what else to do, serve and go from there. And then he moved on to loving one another and how, hey, yeah, of course, I've taught you to love your enemies and all those things, but when it really comes down to it, people will know you're legit by the way you love each other within the body of Christ, the way you love each other. And last week he clarified some important truths in John 14, 6, but in today's passage, similar to what Kathy's dad was doing at the end, is he gets down to, here's who you can rely on when I'm gone. I'm going away. It's going to be different. There are going to be some challenges you're going to face, but there's someone you need to meet. There's someone you need to be aware of because there's someone else that you can rely on when I'm gone. And in fact... He's going to take better care of you than I would if I was here. And so that's the point in the conversation that we come to here in John 14. Um, Last week we were in that conversation where Jesus is starting to hint a few things about heaven and then clarifies that he is the way. No room for for dispute, no way to mistake it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so this picks up in the middle of that conversation. So we'll go John 14, starting in verse 10. Jesus says, Do you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So in the midst of this conversation, Jesus is reintroducing an idea that he's hinted at a few times in in the last few years with his disciples. It's this idea about the relationship between he and and God the Father. So the disciples at this point, they know Jesus, right? They've watched him, they've experienced him, they've listened to him teach. They they know Jesus flesh and blood, right? Fully man. And they know God the Father, or at least they know of God the Father. Even, Even the weakest one of them, when it comes to biblical knowledge, would have grown up hearing the stories from the Old Testament, hearing about what God is like, how he interacts with people, at the very least, they know culturally, you know, this idea of God or gods. And so they know Jesus, flesh and blood, and they know God the Father, but they're still in the process of learning that there's a very serious connection between the two. In fact, that they are equal. And so clearly there's something more at play because Jesus is saying, I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, it's not me working, it's him working through me. And anything that I say, it's him saying it. And if you can't really process that, simply look at what I've been doing because clearly God is, in, is the driving force behind the thing I've been doing. There's more than just a human thing happening here over the last three years. So just look at the works and you can see that God is involved in what I've been doing. But what's tying it all together Because as we said, Jesus is right here, as as flesh and blood as you and I are here in this room. So Jesus is right here, and God is out there, right here, there, somewhere, up, down, and all around, invisible and yet real. And so it's hard to grasp any type of intimate connection between the two unless there's something else at play. And that's what Jesus is, is introducing here. And we can go... A page or two over into John 16, where he comes out with it very clearly. John 16:7, Jesus says, "Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you." So the disciples had to be sitting there thinking, "There is no way it's better for you to be gone, right? There is no way it's better for us for you to not be here." Of all the things that he had done and accomplished. If they had a question, he was right there to answer it. If they needed help with something, he was right there to help. If they needed direction or a push or just needed someone to talk to, he was right there physically. So they had to be thinking, it's better for you to go away? How could it be better for us to be without you? And and when you're gone, Jesus actually said in the midst of this conversation too that they would be able to do greater things than he had done. So they got to be thinking, how could this possibly be true? They had to be wondering, what is behind these claims? What is behind this thing that Jesus is saying about this connection between him and God the Father and being able to do greater things than these, and it's better that he leave? Well, what they came to discover is that Jesus knows where the power lies. Jesus knows where the power comes from. And the truth is that the power comes from God the Father working in the world through his Holy Spirit working in us, working through us, working for us, and always for his glory. The power comes from God the Father working through his Holy Spirit in the world. Let's go back to John 14 real quick. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, we can't camp there, right? Go to 1 John and read through that, and John really sticks with this theme of this amazing, powerful Uh, relationship between loving Jesus and actually doing what he said. Those things cannot be separated, but we can't camp there today. So verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So Jesus says he's going to send another advocate, someone to replace him. Now, there's two Greek words that he could have used there for another. One of those words means it's another of a different kind. The other one means that it's another of the same kind. The word Jesus chooses means it's going to be another of the same kind. And so what we find out is that the Spirit of God, it's different from Jesus, a different counselor, a different type of counselor, a different, different from having Jesus in flesh and blood here on the earth, but it's the same God. Same power, same love present in their lives, same love present in our lives. This, it becomes this guiding, unifying spirit between Father and Son. What Jesus was talking about with that relationship, the Spirit is the reason why they're connected, why He's speaking what the Father wants Him to speak, why He's doing things in the power of God. It's because of the Holy Spirit. And it's that same Spirit that guides and unifies each of us with Christ, and it's that same Spirit that binds all believers together in Christ. And so already, I think the disciples were starting to get it, and we need to understand something, is that the Holy Spirit is a really, really big deal. Holy Spirit is a big deal. So the big question becomes, what exactly does the Holy Spirit do? Because now we know that it unites Jesus and God the Father, and unites us with Christ, but what about practically speaking? Because Jesus did a lot of stuff, and Jesus is saying that all the stuff he did was because of the Holy Spirit. What's the nature of the Holy Spirit's role in the world, in our salvation, in our lives, in our our attempt at obedience? What we need to know is that all of the experiences that were available to the disciples, all of the inspirations that were available to the disciples, all of the things that were available to the disciples when Jesus was here on earth are available to us with the Holy Spirit. So what is it the Holy Spirit actually does? Well, the Holy Spirit is a helper, it's a healer, comforter, it's a guide. The Holy Spirit fills us with joy and peace. Any experience we have with that is because of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit helps us understand and interpret God's Word. All right, that's why there are Bible scholars who spend their entire careers studying the Bible and never grasp what it's really saying because they're doing it with their own eyes and their own brains and not with the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in a believer and seals us forever as belonging to God. The Holy Spirit helps with prayer and even pleads on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. And then the answers come through the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit baptizes a believer into the body of Christ and then gives new birth and starts the process of making them a new creation. That's why when we do water baptism, we always clarify that, hey, there is nothing magical about the water, right? We didn't sprinkle anything crazy in there. There's no pixie dust in there that's going to make you a different person because the water is simply a physical representation of the work that the Holy Spirit has already been doing in that person's life. It's the Holy Spirit that baptizes us and makes us a new creation and unites us with Christ. As part of that process, the Holy Spirit remakes a believer. We call that process sanctification, right? Nice churchy word. Basically means becoming, it's the process of becoming more like Christ. So when we become a believer, our sins are forgiven, we're on our way to heaven, he's washed us white as snow, and yet there is a process of getting rid of our old self and taking on the self of Christ and bearing fruit as we become more and more like him. The Holy Spirit does that process in us helps us battle the will of the flesh, who we used to be, and drives us to be more like Christ by the power of the Spirit. Holy Spirit provides spiritual gifts. So as each believer is called to to be an intimate, active member of the kingdom of God, of the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit gives each person spiritual gifts to, to take part in that process. The Holy Spirit provides the wisdom of God and allows us to know His heart and his mind and his will. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But perhaps the biggest one, the biggest job of the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I mentioned the Bible Project. Another fantastic resource is a website that's it's gotquestions.org. Gotquestions.org. Fantastic uh, just collection of articles and, and things when it comes to all kinds of different topics of the Bible. you can search by keyword or just ask a question. brings up all kinds of awesome articles. but um, one particular section of an article about the Holy Spirit said this when it comes to convicting the sin of convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. It said this: The influence of the Holy Spirit in an unsaved person's life will lead that person to the realization that they are guilty, that God is just. And that all sinners are deserving of judgment. Once a sinner has been awakened to their soul's great need, the Spirit will point them to Christ, the one and only Savior and refuge from judgment. And so, all of those different things, from convicting us of sin and, and saving us and, and leading us to that point of understanding the gospel and who Jesus is and what he came to do, from that point all the way through to the things that it provides, like peace and joy and, and answers to prayer and even miracles at different points. Whatever we do, whatever we experience, whatever we may see happen in us and through us, it is not us. It is the power of God through His Holy Spirit doing the work and simply allowing us to play a role in His work. Whatever we do, whatever we experience, whatever we see happen in us, through in and through us, it is not us. Just like what Jesus was saying with his work on earth, it is not us, it is the power of God working through his Holy Spirit and simply allowing us to come along. And so if we at some point in our lives understand the gospel and believe, it's him. If we grow and mature, it's him. If we bear fruit, it's him. If we represent him well in the world, it is him. If we bounce back from a failure or defeat, it's him. If we experience peace, It's him. If we experience some measure of his power in our lives, it's him. If people come to faith by anything that we say or do, it's not us. It's him. It's the power of God through his Holy Spirit working in the world and allowing us to take part in some way. So the next question seemingly has an easy answer, but Jesus expands on is So who has access to the power of the Holy Spirit? Who gets to experience all of these different things? Well, John 14, 12, the easy answer comes is that it's those who believe in Jesus, right? You begin a relationship with him, you you give your heart to him, you you cross that line of faith and we experience the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. But then you see a new pattern developing over the subsequent verses. In verse 15, he says, it's for those who love him and keep his commands. Verse 21, it's whoever knows his commands And keeps them. You're seeing the pattern here in these couple verses. Verse 23, he says that the Holy Spirit is for those who love and obey his teaching. And this is where there's a strange tension that we kind of experience, where we experience the power of the Holy Spirit through our belief and obedience, and yet our belief and obedience are only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it becomes one of those chicken and egg things. Which, which came first, chicken or egg? And the answer in this came, case becomes yes. Right? It's that mysterious both and nature of God that comes out in so many different parts of Scripture where we find out this, this is a gift because truth and understanding come from the Holy Spirit and then He guides us in that truth as we become more and more like Christ. This is also why we we judge and hold accountable people within the body of Christ very differently from those outside. Because if you've claimed Christ, if you have given your heart to Him, then you have the Holy Spirit. You have access to that power that will lead you to become more and more like Jesus. And so someone like me would come along and say, hey, I remember baptizing you, and you said I'm all in. You said I want to go public with this, and I might say, hey, the life that you're living now is not matching up with the power that exists inside of you. And yet someone who has never made that decision, someone who has not come to Christ, is not capable of living like Christ, is not capable of living according to the power of the Holy Spirit because they don't have the Holy Spirit. And so the conversation is very different. And so what we know is that the Holy Spirit is available to us. And all the things that he does... And so I just want to close with a couple Holy Spirit-related encouragements or challenges. There's So many different directions you can go with the Holy Spirit. We actually did a, a series on prayer this past August where we hit on some of these things as far as the, the power of prayer and those types of different things. So there's lots of rabbit trails you could go on. Um, but just a couple things for this morning. And the first one's this. If you're struggling to know what you need to know, if you're struggling to do what you need to do, if you need wisdom, if you need direction, if you need a miracle in your life, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to ask God for an extra measure of his spirit in your life. Don't be afraid to ask God for an extra measure of his spirit, that he would help you understand, that he would give you direction. Ask for him to work on your behalf. Ask for him to give you the words that you need. Ask for him to start the process of working in someone's life. Ask for that extra minute. Ask for the miracle. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 addresses this. I'm going to read 2, 10, and 11, and then jump down to verse 16. So verse 10 says, "'The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God.'" For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But then jump to verse 16. Who's known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, we have the mind of Christ. So the Holy Spirit knows God's heart. It searches God's heart. His heart is unsearchable without the Holy Spirit. And yet we have the Holy Spirit too. Just like it united Jesus and God the Father, it unites us in Christ and unites us with God. And so we can live with the mind of Christ. We can learn the mind of Christ. We can study the mind of Christ. We can understand and discern and know with the mind of Christ. The unsearchable heart of God can be searched because of the Holy Spirit. The unknowable will of God can be known and experienced because of the Holy Spirit. And this is a beautiful thing. We become a temple of the living God. See, in the Old Testament, there was a physical temple. They would build it and God would come down and fall and, and his presence would be on earth, God with us. They, they talk about like it was the place where heaven and earth would meet. God would dwell among his people, the temple. Then in the New Testament, Jesus shows up and Jesus becomes that thing. Jesus becomes God with us. Jesus becomes that place where heaven and earth meet, God dwelling among his people. And now, all of that is true of us God with us, God in us, his heart, his mind, his wisdom, the power of heaven available to us because of the Holy Spirit. We are the place where heaven and earth meet, it's the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit in us. Now, an important note when it comes to this stuff. Miracles are not for show. The work of the Holy Spirit is not for our entertainment. Now, I am one who would say that everything God has ever done in the past, every way he has worked, everything he's chosen to do, he is still fully capable of and able to do and maybe willing to do now. Okay? Same God. Same God. Same power, available to us. Jesus said you'll do even greater things than what he has done. But here's the thing about all that. Anytime God chooses to work, anytime he chooses to show up in a powerful way or in a miraculous way, it's always for three very important reasons. He does it to bring himself glory. He does it to encourage his people. And he does it to advance his kingdom. God shows up with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring himself glory, to bring encouragement to his people, and to advance his kingdom. So in any of those circumstances, for any of those three reasons, God is generous with his Holy Spirit. So don't be afraid to ask for that extra measure. Don't be afraid to ask for that miracle. Don't be afraid to come to him in prayer with the needs and desires of your heart. And what we know is that if God chooses to move in that way, if God chooses to to provide a miracle if God answers that prayer if he works in the way that we've asked him to work we know that he's done it for his own glory for the encouragement of his people and to advance his own kingdom and if God chooses not to act in that way if in that instance his will is not the same as our will if he doesn't provide the miracle if he doesn't provide the healing if he doesn't provide the answer to prayer in the way that we've asked for it we know that he has responded in that way for his glory for the encouragement of his people, and for the advancement of his kingdom. And so when it comes to prayer, when it comes to reliance on the Holy Spirit, when it comes to seeking God's heart and seeking his will and, and seeking to have access to his power, our trust in the Holy Spirit, our reliance on the Holy Spirit, our desire for the Holy Spirit, all the stuff that the Holy Spirit does, it's always about bringing us more in line with what God is doing and not trying to get him on board with what we're doing. It's always about what he's doing and us realigning with that. But do not be afraid to ask him for an extra measure of his Holy Spirit because he is generous and he's got good things in in store. Final thing is this. If you're struggling to believe, if you're struggling to believe, Ask God to open your eyes. Ask him to open your ears. Ask him to open your heart. There are people who may be sitting in church every single week of their lives, and yet they're looking and they're saying, man, sometimes Miriam gets emotional when she's leading worship up there. I don't get it. It's a good song, but it's not that good. You know, like, why would Gary get a call on the end of the day on Saturday and say yes to coming and helping and showing up and making it work? It's a nice thing to do, but I don't know if it's that big of a deal, right? All these Bible verses and, and things that Justin's talking about week after week, and, and my grandma's always talking about that, and my parents are doing that, and I just feel like there's something I'm missing. The Holy Spirit has to be the one that pushes you in that direction. If you're struggling to believe, you're maybe not seeing what others are seeing. Maybe you're not hearing things the way others hear them. Maybe you don't understand. Now this could apply to those of you, if you are a believer and you're trying to dig through scripture, there's a topic that's on your brain or something in your life that just isn't adding up and you're having a hard time understanding, ask God to open your eyes and your ears and your heart to see the way he sees and interact the way he interacts and see the world the way he does. Ask him to open your heart because in John 14, one of his disciples says, Jesus, why do you only say this to us? Why, why wouldn't you reveal all this to everyone? And Jesus' responds, is, it is for everyone. For anyone who will love me, anyone who will follow me, they'll experience the same power of the Holy Spirit that you've experienced with me here on earth. There's a great verse that I'll close with in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it kind of addresses this idea of not being able to see and not being able to understand. And some of you have been praying for relatives and maybe children or grandchildren or parents or friends, and you're just like, why? Why can't they get it? How how come they're not seeing it? How come they're not hearing me? Why isn't this clicking for them? There's a great verse in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 18, and Paul talks about how, in some ways, there's a veil over our eyes before we come to know Christ. Or we can't see, can't hear, can't understand, because the Holy Spirit has to do that work in us. And it says this says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. The Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We use that verse most of the time when we're talking about needing some new clothes or needing this uh, offer to come through on the house. Right? I mean, I've sought the Lord, I asked. But that talks about our spiritual lives as much as our physical. He's just saying, if you'll take a single step in my direction, if you'll turn your face in my direction, if you ask, me to help you understand. If you seek me, if you knock on my door, it's going to be provided. He's going to remove the veil from your eyes and you'll see things that you've never seen before. You'll hear in ways that you've never heard before. You'll experience scripture in ways you've never experienced it before. The veil will be removed and all of a sudden, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll see Jesus all over again for the very first time. So if you're struggling to believe if you sit here every week, if you watch on YouTube every week, or one and a half times a month, I think is the average for the average church score these days, but whatever it is, ask him to open your eyes and your ears and your heart, and he'll do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, clarity on this. At the same time, God, we thank you that you are unsearchable, you are, we can't know you fully. We can't understand you fully, and I think that's the most amazing thing, and yet at the same time, God, you've revealed yourself to us. You allow us to know you. You allow us to hear you and experience you, your power working in our lives. And God, as we go out from here, pray that pe- people would see that. They would see your Holy Spirit working in our lives, seeing something different in us, see us experiencing something different not because of us, but because of your work in our lives. Father, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next week.